the end of the exam season brings with it an almost palpable feeling of a weight being lifted. The hard work has been done, or hasn't, and now all we have to do is wait. And I say all like that's easy. For some, this waiting period can be a little fraught too. So just what are the best ways to approach this hinterland between exams, results, and our little darling's next steps? Hello, and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, founder of The Study Buddy, and your host. In this, our third season of the podcast, we're chatting with parents, students, and teachers to hear how things are going. Specifically, we're interested in the highs and lows, the trials and the tribulations in the run-up to exams in 2022. We'll be covering everything from trouble getting going to burning the candle at both ends, from students who are overzealous and anxious to those who are underperforming and yet still nonchalant. Through these shared real-world experiences, I hope that you'll take some comfort that you're not alone. And perhaps more importantly, I hope that you'll take away some insights and advice that can help you to support your own team so that they'll not just survive the exams, but thrive in the preparation. So if you're a parent, a carer or a teacher, be sure to subscribe. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Andy Scott Evans. Andy is the head teacher of Beckett Keys Church of England School in Essex, where he's been the head since its inception nearly 10 years ago. Andy, thank you so much for joining me today. As we record this episode, exams are actually in full swing. So before we talk about what happens after the exam period, I just wanted to talk to you about that immediate post-exam, post-mortem that tends to happen. I mean, a lot of parents, myself included, will rush to sort of the questioning of of their children. So how did the exam go? Full of enthusiasm, which typically gets greeted by a, uh, I don't know, or various shades between it was terrible or okay, I guess. So I'm just wondering, do you think it's worth, as parents, trying to pick over the bones of what's happened in their freshly sat exams? That's a really good question. Interesting one. Certainly, it's something that teachers do all the time. We're always wanting to know what questions came up. Did the things that we revise make a difference in the exam? I guess there'll be lots of parents who are interested in a similar way, who've been involved in helping design revision timetables, and they want to know what came up. But yes, I suppose the key thing, I think, as a role of parent, from my perspective, would be to keep spirits up. And if by talking about the exam, it's helping to reinforce the messages of revision is working, hard work is working, it's making a difference, then that's positive. If it's bringing the mood down because it didn't go so well, I would move on. But there's a lot that adults can do in terms of supporting through talking. And we all know that talking about things is good for our mental health. So if your teen is happy to talk, keen to talk, and you feel like it's making a positive difference, then I would definitely encourage that. Hmm. And I think that's that's right, isn't it? I mean, and as parents, we don't want to see our children sort of get low and get down. And so if they've done well, as you say, then tend to do that bit of, well, it's great because all of your hard work is paying off. You must feel really proud. But the, the other end, there's a temptation, isn't it, to sort of undermine the importance, I think. So if if they say, well, well maths was a disaster, then I think it can be very easy to slip into the, uh, that sort of narrative of, oh, well, it doesn't matter. You're, you're never going to need algebra later anyway, which I'm presuming is not the kind of message that we really should be getting across. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think there's some really 
well-meaning but really quite damaging words that can be said around the exam season along those lines of well I was never any good at languages well you know your uncle Frank got by without ever passing a GCSE and I think you've got to go into exam season having had a discussion with the other adults involved in that child's life so my wife and I would sit down and we'd say we're going to make sure we're not talking about grades and piling on the pressure about what we're expecting in terms of an outcome we're going to be focusing on effort, having an idea of the sorts of things you are not going to say and having an idea of the things that you're going to focus on before you go in is a really good idea. Hmm. I think that's really interesting as well. I mean, I found certainly with Emily, who's doing her GCSEs at the moment, that it can be sort of a bit misleading because you'll say, how do you think you've done in her recent chemistry? And you'll be, oh, I don't know. Is that right? I guess. But it doesn't matter because the grade boundaries are so low anyway. It wasn't about it wasn't about that. It was about you trying to do your best, and it becomes really difficult if if the grades I think become that that entire focus of, of the outcome. Definitely, I would always advise parents in any year group to not obsess with the grade, the attainment grade, but always look at the effort grades. You know, so even if your child is only in inverted commas in year seven. When they get their report at the end of the year, first thing to look at is the effort they've put in. Next thing to look at is how they've been getting on in their homework and then glance at the attainment grade because the attainment grade will look after itself if they're focusing their attention on the effort they can put in. Mm. And certainly that, I mean, that also bears through, doesn't it, when it comes to the revision period. And as you say, I mean, if you're in year seven, you think, I mean, these are these are a long way off. But actually, there are really good habits that we found that can be formed early on that will stand the child in. And as you say, that's that's as much about the effort that they put in, the energy, the time that they're willing to commit, and the routines that they get into, as much as worrying about whether they're top of the class or the percentage they get in various tests. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, we've all done so much learning about growth mindset, having that attitude of you get out what you what you put in that is definitely the area to focus on. Hmm. So then winding forward, that can be difficult, can't it? Because if you put in a lot of effort and for any number of reasons, the exam day, just you may just not have had a good day in the office <laughs> for, that, for that particular exam period. That can feel a bit demoralising, can't it? That you put the work in and Macbeth question just wasn't going the way you wanted it to. And so how do we manage that kind of thing with us, with our students who, who believe that they ought to have done better because of what they, they put in? Yeah, that, again, it's a really good question. When students feel like the exam hasn't gone their way, it is hard to, to pick them up. But I guess it's about seeing that the exams are designed to assess across a number of different topics. Often you can walk out of a paper thinking that something's gone bad because they're focusing on one small element of it. They're forgetting that there's a bigger picture. There's, there's a couple of papers to sit. And every student will have one or two questions that really haven't gone, gone their way. So I suppose it's about reminding them of that bigger picture. And it is very unusual, that it can happen, that someone has such a bad day, they get a grade which makes absolutely no sense. And, you know, I guess we'll talk about that. There are things that on results day, the school can do to look into that for you and help you with it. So in that run up to results, because the exam period will finish mid towards the end of June, isn't it? With um, I think the last exams come through. But that period, I mean, tends to be like this weight has been lifted and you can see sort of noticeable differences in the kids and, and sort of the stress that they would have felt, even if they hadn't realised it, can be lifted and, and um, sort of feel and act much freer. 
but results day will be coming up. What are the kinds of things that I guess our students, young teens should be doing during this period? Is it a case of look, put it behind you and just enjoy, enjoy the summer? Or do you advocate keeping an eye on things, picking up books and keep revising, thinking about the next step? Well, I, I would always encourage people to be reading, reading for pleasure, reading for developing in the areas that they're interested in to study. I guess it kind of depends on where the student sees themselves for sixth form at Beckett Keys. On our website, if you're joining us for sixth form, there are a number of bridging activities that we would encourage students to do, which are enriching activities. It could be going to a museum, it could be going to an art gallery, it could be watching a documentary, it could be watching a particular film, it could be reading a, a particular set of articles. There's a whole range of different things that we would expect students to get something out of, depending on which A-levels they were, they were picking. So any of your listeners could actually visit our school website, but I imagine that the other schools that they're thinking of going to would have similar lists as well. It is really important to use this time constructively if you are thinking of going on to do A-levels, because the step up from GCSE to A-level is quite significant. And certainly we, and I'm sure many schools do the same, we have some tests which the students are going to sit in September. So after only a month of being in school, we'll be sitting them some tests so that they can start to see what it means to be a sixth former. And so the summer holiday does provide you with an opportunity to start thinking like a sixth former, start working like a sixth former. And I know something that a lot of students enjoy doing is watching the the YouTube organisation a vlog, is it? Oh, vlogging, yes. Yeah, where they, they vlog and they show, this is how I got myself set up for, for sixth form, buying the folders, getting your file paper, getting your colour coordinating, revision cards and all that stuff. So there's a whole load of things that you can be doing practically and academically in this gap. Because mm. as you said, I mean, I noticed it with Jake, who did his GCSEs into A-levels, what would have been five years ago, that actually that came as a real shock. And I think it came to a real shock to all of us. So I did A-levels myself and I remember them being more challenging, but I definitely don't remember the kind of difference between the way that he was taught GCSEs, the way that he had to self-regulate his home studies and work compared to, to A-levels. I mean, it felt like a it felt like a very, very big step. And I think it took him by surprise. Well, I know it took him by surprise. And it's similar with other students. And and you do wonder whether that that large summer period, and I'm not suggesting for a second that I would have my children working in a school day or or even preparing themselves for their A-levels, because I think that can also be foolhardy. But I do like the idea that there's stuff that they could be doing that can keep the mind ticking over, keep them in the habit of learning and also willing to learn, I guess. Yeah, just example, the, the reading thing, to go back to that again, you know, they're going to be narrowing down their the broad GCSE spectrum of subjects down to potentially three A-levels if that's the direction they're going. And they need to be really sure they're going to want to study those A-levels in the depth that they're going to, to experience at sixth form. And if you can't even be bothered to pick a paintbrush during the six-week holiday, it's pretty unlikely you're going to enjoy arts A-level. If you can't be bothered to read some 19th century fiction, pretty sure you're not going to be enjoying a-level English literature. It's a great opportunity just to keep testing the waters. They do actually want to study those A-levels they've put themselves down for. It's not too late to make changes. 
this could be a really important time to be exploring those subjects and seeing whether they're really right for you as a student. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that in any way, shape or form. It's almost a snowballing of students that, that see their education career as being GCSEs, obviously, and then predominantly A-levels and then increasingly and overwhelmingly then straight into university. And actually, then the choice of what you're doing at A-level becomes not so much about where where it will take them in the future, but just about the fact that they're doing something and they need to do something. I need to do A-level, so what will they what will they be? And that sounds like a really great way of actually challenging themselves and testing the water as well. Couldn't you really see yourself going through two years worth of psychology or subjects that they may not have done before? And, and maybe where will that get them? Yeah, I mean, our, our bridging work is designed to, to help with that. And often we'll have students attempting five or six subjects of bridging work just to see which one really gets their attention. Like something like psychology. So many students won't have done a psychology GCSE, but it's one of the most popular A-levels. What makes them think that they want to start a new subject they've never done before? That's a huge risk. You're going to be spending a third of your time at A-level studying this brand new subject. What if you don't like it? So use the summer as an opportunity to, to explore that. I also think the summer gives them a really great opportunity to do a little bit of, I don't know, who do you think you are? Who are you? Who do you want to be kind of thinking? And any transition gives young people a chance to redefine themselves a little bit. They might be changing schools from GCSE to A-level, or even if they're staying in the same school, there will be an influx of external students joining. Some of their friends will be leaving and going elsewhere. It gives them a chance to think, right, who are my friends going to be? Who am I going to surround myself with? Were there elements of year 11 where I found myself not with the right group of people, not with people that were helping me to be who I want to be? And actually, any chance you have where there's one of these big transitions really gives you an opportunity to say, you know what, I'm going to move my friendship group. I'm going to change the way that I present myself to be more who I want to be. So I think the summer gives you a chance to have some of those conversations with your parents or whoever you're, you find it best to talk to. The key is at all points is to try and be more you. You're not going to get to the end of life and think, why wasn't I more like that person or that person you're going to think why didn't I do more of what I wanted to do mm. I think that's I think that's incredible advice from year seven which I mentioned through before in most cases through to GCSE in that year 11 period it does tend to be the friendship groups that we formed when I mean this is a period of what four years five years and sometimes more I mean and over that period of time young people change an awful lot and so as you say there may be a form of habit that's sort of got you into the same gang that you kick around with. But life is becoming more serious, isn't it, at this point? You're making choices. You're starting to refine what it is you're doing, whether that's A-levels or T-levels or other B-techs. Or... And so these choices are, should become much more deliberate. I love that. I love that thinking that actually you can also start to be more specific and deliberate about defining who you are. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. There's a really interesting bit of Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It sounds a bit morbid, but what he does is he, he takes his reader to their own funeral in their mind. And you imagine what various people would stand up and say about you. What would the people you work with stand up and say? What would your friends stand up and say? What would your family stand up and say? And he summarizes it, you know, begin with the end in mind. 
and whether you can manage to get a teenager to think all the way ahead to their funeral or just think ahead until they're 20 or where they want to see themselves in five years time even but begin with the end in mind if you want to see yourself getting to a Russell Group University or a really strong quality apprenticeship what are you going to want to be able to put on your UCAS reference what are you going to want to be able to raise in your interview because you need to have that in mind now so that you can start being that person from day one at sixth form so the summer holiday at last you know gives you a chance to throw off the shackles of all the revision that you've been doing and all the focus on exams and go back to bigger, broader strategic thinking. Mm. I'm not entirely sure whether talking about funerals while discussing GCSE exams might be, um, <laughs> might go down very yeah, well. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but we did, I did do something similar, similar exercise looking at the, the newspaper headline of your life. So in 30 years time, what would the newspaper headline of your life be, which I guess is something similar, but you can see that uh, powerful that can be, can't you? Thinking about what other people would say about you and what you'd, and you'd want them to. It also reminds me of some advice that I was given when I just started working, which was, um, well, what feels like millennia ago now, that you should act like the position that you want next. So working up. And I think that's that's sort of part of this now, isn't it? That it's not about growing up too quickly, but it's about being mindful of what you want to do next and what you'd need to do to, to get there. And with that in mind, and as you say, I mean, the, the summer is a great time to, to kick back and, and relax after what has been a stressful period. There's no two ways about it for any student but also to start to think forward as well. So during this period, should our students be sort of mindful of their CVs? And I'm conscious with this cohort in particular that they wouldn't have had the, the work experience in year 10 because of COVID. And I know that, of course, because of, of Emily. So is this something that they should start to be more deliberate about, looking for work experience or getting some time in a charity shop behind a counter, the, any of these kinds of things? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, for so many reasons. It's important to have those experiences, I think. You learn so much about the world and about yourself by doing those bits of work experience. My daughter got a job in the village down at the the pub here, and she's learned so much about management, about the way that she's managed, about the way you have to ask for time off, you have to speak to your bosses, you have to build relationships with customers, I don't think that she sees herself as having a career in those industries, but those are all valuable lessons for life and so much about the way that you treat people. I think there'll be some good things that she can put on a CV there as well, along the lines of being committed to something over quite a long period, being prepared to do shift after shift after shift. It shows that you've got stickability. So I think there are things there that will be useful to her, but the most useful things, I think, again, come down to learning about life does come down to parents using their networks, speaking to friends, saying, could my daughter come and spend a couple of weeks with you, helping you in the office, going around the local shops and businesses near you, seeing if there's some pretty low paid work that they can be doing. It's it's good character building stuff and they all enjoy earning a bit of money too. As you say, I mean, there is that dual benefit that the, the character traits and the aspects and the learning that you can put on the CV, but absolutely with you that there's so much more about what it can, what it tells them about themselves. But also for many, it'll be the first time that they'll be truly independent from what the parents are doing. So actually having to stand on their own two feet, having to correct a problem if it goes wrong, having to answer a question if it's asked of them. 
And these are the kinds of things that I think would stand them in good stead, surely, for, for, for the A-levels and the next steps when they are going to need to adult more than perhaps they would have done in the past. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Um, the other thing I think I ought to mention is that, you know, there will be some future courses at university or careers that will really be looking for work experience at this point. So obvious ones would be medicine, veterinary science. And so it is important when you're starting to think about your next steps, coming back to what we were saying before, begin with the end in mind. So begin now thinking, where do I want to see myself? Do a bit of research, get online, see what kind of work experience would be beneficial to you. And you can ring up universities and you can ask them, you know, what would the admissions team be looking for on my UCAS form if I was to apply for law at Cambridge? What sort of things should I be doing now? Because this is a window of opportunity, this long summer holiday, to actually make sure you've got some of those things on your on your CV. So if you are thinking of going to something a little bit prestigious, you're going to need to get some things on your personal statement that are going to make a difference. Mm, no, great advice. Absolutely. So thinking, I guess, in terms of the, the next most immediate step, in August, our young people are going to get their results. For some, it'll be exactly as they expected. For some, it'll be better. And inevitably, for some, it'll be worse. So I'm, I'm just wondering if we can project ourselves forward to that point in time, what kinds of advice or things should parents and students be thinking about on actual results day and then the immediate aftermath, depending on how things have gone for them? Mm. Such a great day. I love results day. It's just so exciting to see students coming and being with them as they make that next step. And schools across the land feel like this. Teachers come out in their droves to be there in school for results day. Do take that opportunity to thank them for what they've done, um, for being with you on the journey and to use their expertise to help you think about your next steps. I would like to think that everyone has a plan B in place. It's never too late to have something as a backup for what if my results don't go the way that I'm expecting. We're talking about GCSEs here, aren't we, mainly? So it's about, you know, I'm hoping to get to this sixth form, but I've also got an application into this college to do a course I'm really excited about, just in case I don't get what I want. And it's, I I said it very quickly there, but something you're really excited about. You need to be excited about plan B because who knows what could happen? So have something that you think, do you know what? I would really, really enjoy that. So you're almost sort of putting in an insurance policy. Colleges particularly are still accepting applicants. And also you'll be thinking about those subjects, as I mentioned earlier. Things can change over the summer. Your attitudes towards subjects, your knowledge of what it is you're getting into can change. And I always say to students, respect the results. If you've got a result that's better than you thought, that is a strong indication that actually that's not a bad subject for you to look at. Have another look at it and think, actually, should I be carrying on with religious studies? Because I've just smashed it. I've got an eight. I've got a really good grade here. I wasn't thinking of it, but actually that grade would indicate to me that that's one you've got a particular strength in. So respect the results equally. If they haven't gone your way, you needed a six to do I don't know, biology at A-level and you've only got a five, do not just dismiss that. Respect that result. Speak to your teachers and say, look, I'm really worried now. I have not got the entry requirement. 
I wouldn't go there trying to convince them and twist their arm and say, please let me do it. Respect the results. It may be that you had a bad day at the office and the teachers will know and they'll say, no, it's okay. Carry on with A-level. But it could be that actually this is the clear indication that you needed that A-level biology is not going to be for you. It's a massive step up. It's really tough. And, you know, you need to look at what those results are telling you. Mm. I mean, from all of that, I think it's, it's that garnering advice, isn't it, from others and from teachers in particular and not making knee-jerk reactions based on on and anything because as you say that the five in biology would certainly be a strong indication that it's not for you but your teachers would be able to give you a good indication of actually that's not a fair reflection I still think you'd be fine exactly that you know regardless of whether you're staying on at their school or going on to another's teachers always want to see you making the right choices doing the best things for you so make the most of that opportunity to talk to them on that day and in the days afterwards we are in school for three days after the results so we're in the day before remember teachers get to look at your results before you do so we know what you've got I didn't know that 24 hours before you do each of our students will have looked at their results will have thought can they do the a-levels that they wanted to do do they need to make a change we'll have already prepared a backup plan for you we said okay you can't do English literature how about we talk to them about doing media because they really enjoyed studying texts, but maybe we needed to look at visual texts rather than the traditional texts of English literature. So teachers will have poured over those results for 24 hours before you even see them. We'll be ready. We'll have ideas of things that we can talk to you about so that then when you come in on results day, we're, we're ahead of you and we want to be with you as you then make those choices. And you say not knee jerk reactions, but things based on the fact that we've known you for five years. We've seen you studying. We've seen you developing and there will be a combination of subjects for you, which is right for you. Mm. I, I actually genuinely love hearing you talking about results day. I mean, it is, it's a nerve wracking time because people will have students and parents perhaps will have expectations and hopes and dreams. But actually, this is an exciting period, isn't it? Because it's the summation of what they've done, but it's also the the doorway, the step up to the to the next thing that they're doing, which is really exciting. It really is. I mean, when I started Beckett Keys, you open the school and, you know, you look forward to these landmark occasions. And yes, it's, it's what it's all about. You are there at the beating heart moments when decisions are being made, the students are standing at crossroads and they're making life changing decisions. It's a real privilege and honour as a teacher to be part of that. So many times parents say to me, I'm so glad that you were here because we hadn't thought about this. We hadn't thought about that. You know, and, and students are in an absolute panic because they think they need maths, chemistry, biology to do medicine. And you can show them, yeah, OK, that is the golden triangle of subjects. But actually, you can do it without one of those three or, in fact, without two of those. There are other ways of doing it. You might slightly limit the universities that you could go to later on. But keeping children's dreams alive showing them that there are more than one route to where they want to get is is really fantastic exciting place to be how fantastically reassuring was that i think sometimes the anticipation of what results day might bring can get us all worked up and i mean that for students and for us parents I mean, these are landmarks in our children's lives, but as we've heard, they don't have to be the be-all and end-all. 
I absolutely love Andy's perspective on the whole journey that our young people are on. Schooling and exam results might have an impact on what they can do next, but it doesn't have to define them entirely. Here's an opportunity to think about what and how they want to be next. And in thinking about this, Andy's begin at the end note really struck a chord with me. And if you don't know where you're going, it doesn't really matter how you're going to get there, does it? This is something that we talk about with students quite a lot. This, as Andy says, can also help them to shape the idea of who they want to be, what they want to be known for, and then start to make changes accordingly. And the summer, of course, is going to be a great time for that kind of reflection and introspection, maybe. It's also be a missed opportunity, though, if our young people aren't also using this time to think more deliberately about their next steps, whether that's A-levels or T-levels or, or whatever that might be. For me, I'm absolutely going to be checking out the Beckett Keys website for those enrichment activity lists that Andy mentioned about. I mean, certainly in our house, Emily picked subjects that she thought she might be good at and she thought she might enjoy, but that's based on what she did in her GCSEs and how she performed. And in the case of psychology A-level, it was absolutely fueled by watching various American CSI programs. So I suspect that this is going to be a good time to actually make sure that those subjects are going to be the kinds of things she's happy to stick with for two years. But most importantly, for me certainly, is that our teens have the chance to kick back and enjoy themselves over these summer periods. I mean, I look back on my own summers with like, great fondness, like rose-tinted, I accept. I can't imagine for a second that it didn't rain in July and August back in the early 90s. But how many times in the future are our children going to get to have that much time off and be as carefree as they can be? Not enough, that's absolutely for certain. So a bit of preparation, a bit of future gazing, and as much fun and me time as they can manage seems to be about the right mix for this summer as far as I'm concerned. My thanks to Andy for taking the time to chat with me today and, of course, to you for listening. And don't forget, if you're looking for ways that you can support your own young person to fulfil their potential in their revision, then why not head over to the Study Buddy website? There you'll find a whole host of information about our innovative time management and study organising approach. And you'll also find a blog that's packed full of useful articles, hints and tips. To find out more, make sure you make a beeline for thestudybuddy.com. I hope that you found this episode useful and reassuring. If you did, would you mind leaving us a review and, if it's not too much to ask, a five-star rating? It does help us to reach other parents who, just like the rest of us, are looking for ways of making sense of it all in the run-up to exams. Of course, don't forget to share the link to this and other episodes on your social media weapon of choice. It's all greatly appreciated. There'll be another episode next week, so please don't forget to follow and subscribe to the Study Sessions podcast.